Hey everybody, welcome to a nice, chill episode of Let's Read the Bible, because my beloved co-host Aaron has lost his voice a little bit, so... Yeah, my voice is a little thrashed today, I'm not gonna lie. We're just gonna, we're just gonna be hanging out on this podcast, where we look through the Bible, we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand, and of course, if you would like to follow along, you can... Download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in your reading plan. We also have PDFs available on our website, Grub.Church. Okay, I don't know how you're doing that with a straight face. Um, but no, I, you, this is another episode. We're so glad you're here. My voice is a little hoarse. I'm sorry. Um, but we do want to answer some questions as well. So if you've got questions that come in through the course of your reading uh, in the Bible, whether it's with the plan as we are reading along or it's just as we're, you're hearing us have conversations about uh, biblical topics. Would love for you to send those questions in to us. You can send them in in two ways. One, via email to email info at grove.church. Uh, and you put in the subject line, a let's read the Bible podcast question. Uh, we get those questions. I'll take time to answer those on as, as much as we can on a weekly basis. Uh, you can also direct message our Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. So feel free to send those questions in our DMs there as well. There you go. I apologize for my voice ahead of time. Hey, it's it's all. I'll get back to speaking normally. That way, we don't just wake people up for the whole. Yeah, just, I, don't <laughs> for know the how, whole I don't know how you did that with a straight face. I'm not gonna lie. I'm sitting like having to pull my face away because I'm like almost giggling because it's funny. There you go. Um, so anyway, uh, today we're gonna be talking about. Luckily for Aaron, we're gonna be talking about the Book of Obadiah, which is incredibly short. So we it's this won't be as long of and it. it's pretty ambiguous. Yeah, it won't be as long. But it's, we'll, cl- it's clear the content, but it, anything surrounding it, we have one clear direction that's Edom. That's it. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there, yeah. but it's a, uh, it's, it's an interesting book to say the least. For sure. Uh, but yeah, so we, we will be spending most of our time talking about Obadiah today. And then we have a question that we want to dive into a bit of a longer question. Mm-hmm. So it kind of seemed like it fit really well. Um, as far as resources for the study in Obadiah, we're using, uh, as always, the ESV study Bible, Logos Bible software, Reformation study Bible, and then the essence of the Old Testament, a survey by Ed Henson and Gary Yates. Um, and then for the question that comes in, uh, I'll just reference this now, and then I'll, I'll we'll reference it, I'm sure, when we go into the question. But it was uh, a blog post by Matt Perlman that I found that was really helpful. Um, a few different blog posts from the Gospel Coalition, which in general, I really, really resource, I really yeah. trust those people. So <laughs> like uh, any, any topic you, that's like a deeper question that... I'm not sure on. Usually I look to see if the Gospel Coalition has anything on it. Um, And then from those articles, I was actually recommended a book. I haven't read it yet, so because I just ordered it a few days ago, but it's called The the Big Book of Bible uh, Difficulties. So basically it wrestles through a bunch of difficult passages. If you know Evan well enough, you know that that's his his love language is buying books. It was a good deal. Yeah. So So anyway, I I will recommend it insofar as it was recommended to me. So there you go. So stay tuned on our actual official personal recommendation. Maybe months from now, I'll come back on and say, oh no, the book sucks. (laughs) Or or, or it's great. But anyway. All right. But let's talk about Obadiah. That's where we're starting starting off here. So it's the shortest book of the Old Testament. Um, if you're looking at it, it looks like Jude in the New Testament, mm-hmm. kind of, or maybe Philemon. Um, not quite if as you sure. Know as, what those books are, but yeah. yeah, we've done those on the podcast before. I don't know if we've actually done Philemon. I don't think we've, we've done. We've Jude, done though. Philemon. I don't think we've done Jude. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, we did. Maybe I got that backwards in my head. You might have. Anyway, it's short, and which is rare for the Old Testament. Most Old Testament books are actually pretty hefty, but mm-hmm. the 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 Book of Obadiah is one chapter. That's all. And then we don't. So if you last week we talked about Amos. If you thought we didn't know much about Amos, <laughs> right. let me let me introduce you to Obadiah. to Obadiah because we know even less about him. How crazy is that? The first half of the first verse says the vision of Obadiah, 
That's it. That's it. That's all we know about who Obadiah is. Well, I mentioned this to you earlier, but it's it's funny that like there's 12 other characters in the Old Testament that are referred to as Obadiah, mm-hmm. and none of them are most likely the author of this book, right. which, which is even funnier. Like, there's no, we have no idea who this guy is. Yep. Maybe so, when we get to eternity, we'll know. And Ob- yeah, Obadiah appears to have been a pretty common name. Uh, it, it means servant of Yahweh. So it makes sense that like, you know, a name like that, that feels like it should be common. Yeah. So uh, it's just kind of, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting way to look at it. Um, and there is some tradition I, I was, when I was looking through, there is some Jewish tradition. The strongest one is that he is the same Obadiah who was in the court of King Ahab. Um, I don't think that makes sense. Mostly because when you read about his prophecy, when you read his prophecies, he's referring to the fall of Jerusalem as an event that happened in the past, and he's referring to the fall of Edom as an event that will happen in the future. So I feel like that actually gives us a really clear view of dates. Yeah, and it would and it would not be uh, when Ahab was king. This would be between so Jerusalem falls in 586 BC, and then Edom falls in 553. So we're talking about that. 33 year time span mm-hmm. is about is when Obadiah was written probably. Yeah. And there's some, and there's some stuff that I've read too. That's about the same time. It's, at, it's, it's after the 586 yeah. fall. So, so there you go. So we, act, even though it's, uh, even though the author is really vague, as far as timeline of when the book is written, it's one of the shortest timelines that we have in the old Testament. Yeah. So you think it'd be easier to figure out exactly who Obadiah is? Nope. Just a guy. Nope, just kidding. Just some guy named Obadiah. I mean, I guess Amos is also just some guy named Amos, but at least we know he was a shepherd. That was interesting. Obadiah <laughs> could be anything he i don't know what anyway i was trying to think of like a funny job to have back then but nothing came to my mind so yeah, i can't think of anything either what are you gonna do all right so awkward silence. <laughs> awkward silence uh and then just to give us a little bit of background before we jump into the actual book so edom uh if that sounds familiar good because they're they're around a yeah. lot so it is the nation that descended from esau so if you remember jacob and esau Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and then Israel is the nation that descends from him. Edom is the neighboring nation, and in many ways, the sister nation um, that is descended from Esau, which is also where um, Eliphaz is from, from Job. So there's your one Job connection for this episode. Uh, You made it, bro. (laughs) You made it. Hashtag Job still matters. Um, So eventually... We get to the, a bunch of stories. It, it, the story of Edom and Israel really reflects the story of Jacob and Esau, where they're just wrestling and they have this rivalry. I mean, not actually wrestling, but they have this big rivalry. Yeah. Uh, Edom and Israel have the same way, that sometimes they're good, most of the time they're bad. Um, so when, Which is always interesting to me because Jacob and Esau kind of reconciled, yeah, but not their peoples. Well, and I think like it's what's hard with it is... The reconciliation happens, and then there's a period of years that go by, and then Jacob and his family leave for Egypt. And then there's about 400 years where these two nations have no contact with each other. So even though the brothers reconcile, Israel's on its way back. And now, and think about how long 400 years is. Like, the, like 400 years ago is, as I'm doing the math in my head, it should be easy. It's 220. Yeah. Yeah. So it's seven, ten, no, 1621. 17. 16, 17 to 18 and 19 and 20. No, seven, 16, 21. It's 21, 2021. No, oh, you're saying it's got it. You're saying 2021. Okay. So, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was wrong. I was like, wait, was hold wrong. on. Listen, what? it happens. Math's not either of our strong suits. Math is, it's funny because math is my strong suit, but oh. I wasn't thinking 20. I was thinking 21. Yeah. So, to give Don't you an judge. idea, 1621, 
um, there's no semblance of the idea of America being its own nation. Crazy. It's just a few colonies that are over there. Um, and then a lot of the native tribes. So yep. that's, that's how far back this 400 so years was the memory of that. So we're taking, we're talking basically like Jamestown yeah. is how far back the memory of when Israel and Edom were actually coexisted together. So Israel comes back the, the nation, not the mm -hmm. person he's been dead for a long time. And they want to go pass through Edom. Edom says, no, not going to let it happen. That's kind of the first big rivalry moment that we get. Uh, eventually, David would conquer the nation of Edom and bring it into his empire. Um, generations later, during the reign of Jehoram, uh, which is who's a king of Judah, and uh, Edom would break away during that. So, and then they're just pretty kind of infighting for a long time. And then eventually when Jerusalem falls, Edom's like, hey, cool. And then they come over and plunder as well. So Edom, Edom's really kind of rubbing it in at that point. Yeah. So it's with this in mind, this has all happened now. And Obadiah begins his prophecy. So there you go. Um, and I wrote down, because the book is so short, we're just going to read the whole thing. <laughs> so it's in two, we're, we have it divvied up into two sections. But if you, uh, if you turned on the podcast today, hoping that you could say you had read a whole book of the Bible, then you are in luck because... You will have listened to yep. it at the very least. Listen to it. Yeah. Like an audio book, I suppose. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. So it starts off, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me to the ground? Though you soar aloft like eagles, Though your nest is set amongst the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If a grape gathers, if grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread and have set a trap beneath you, you have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and the understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dis dismayed, O Temin, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of your violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. You shall be cut off forever. One day, on, sorry, on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the cross roads to cut off his fugitives do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress for the lord for the day of the lord is near upon the nations as you have done it shall be done to you your deeds shall return to your own head for as you have drunk on my holy mountain so that all the nations shall drink continuously they shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been harsh all right there's some cool stuff going on here that's rough it reminds me of um, 
similar to how I like to try and connect something to Job if I can, I also love connecting things to Lord of the Rings if I can. But it reminds me of, we just watched Two Towers last night. And it was, uh, it reminds me of like when this, I'm just going to nerd out for like 30 seconds. So stick with me if you don't like Lord of the Rings. But like when Saruman attacks Rohan and they go to Helm's Deep and he convinces like this neighboring nation of Dunland to also join him in this because they hate the, the Rohirrim so much. But then afterwards, the plan is totally just to also conquer them, right? He's not just, he's not going to conquer Rohan and then just be like, okay, you guys get to keep this now. So I think that's kind of what happens with the Edomites where the Babylonians come in and they're like, we're taking over Jerusalem and the Edomites are like, oh, sick. But like the plan is not for the Babylonians to also leave them alone. <laughs> like, and that, I think yeah. that's, they're a little, they're being a little short-sighted, I yep. suppose is the way to put it here. Um, so there's a few things that stood, that stood out in this different passage. Number one, I love how it actually talks about Esau and Jacob. So yeah. it's it's these it's the relationship between these two nations. But Obadiah is very clearly bringing into um bringing into view the relationship between these brothers as well. Um also, I love the language. So I didn't know this before we started uh researching, but so Edom was a very mountainous country. Mm-hmm. And so their capital, I think it's called Petra if I remember right. Um but it was only accessible through a canyon. And then they had a bunch of fortresses that were carved into the mountains. So it's a a pretty cool, um, almost like Switzerland, I guess, if you think of it that way, um, where it's just so mountainous. Like so during World War II, um, one of the reasons that Switzerland was able to stay neutral is because it's really hard to invade. Yeah. So, and and, um, not that it would have been able to hold out forever, but you know, the Nazis were kind of like, this isn't really worth the effort right yeah. now. So you can kind of picture Edom in the same way. It's not a huge nation, um, but the terrain makes it very easily yeah. defensible. And so he has, Obadiah has this language of you soar aloft like eagles. So in other words, you're high up, you're high above all of the invading armies. Um, your nest is set among the stars is another thing that's like this. And then I love the idea that he goes from there, uh, I will bring you down declares the Lord. Mm. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of rock. It's, it's just kind of, I love that language. It's really cool. Um, and then, yeah, he just, I, I also love similar to Amos where last week we talked about, you keep hoping for the day of the Lord. I don't think that means what you think it means. Uh, here we see the day of the Lord has come and it's coming for the Edomites. So it is funny how in the old Testament, the day of the Lord is not this thing that is perceived equal. The day of the Lord just basically means God's judgment. Um, and sometimes it's like the day of the Lord, right. The day of the Lord that we look forward to as Christians is also a day of judgment, but it's a day that we hope in because we know that, um, we know that our standing before God is dependent on what Christ has done. Yep. And so, and so for us, we can look at that day and we don't have to be afraid for the Edomites be very afraid of the day of the Lord. It is not something to look forward to. Yeah, right. So that's kind of, those are the things that really um, stood out to me. I love the idea of do not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah. Basically this whole idea of they see Jerusalem fall and they're just giddy about it and they want to join in. Um, but it's, it looks very short-sighted in hindsight. Yeah. It's just one of those things. So there you go. That's the first part. Yeah. They're going to be judged because of the way that they treated Israel, the way that they treated Jerusalem. Uh, it reminds me of Habakkuk where Habakkuk is wondering, you know, how long are we, are you going to let the people of Judah just reject you like this? And then God goes, well, don't worry. The Babylonians are coming. And then Habakkuk's like, wait, hold on. And then, but God also tells him and the Babylonians will be judged too. Like it's not just this thing. So it's the same thing we see in Amos last week where the different nations around are being judged. So God's mm-hmm. judgment comes, 
for Israel and Judah, and it's well-deserved and no one would dispute that. But it's also not this thing where God judges Israel and Judah and then backs off. No, he's judging all the other nations too. Yeah. Like he's not letting them escape just because he's also mad at his chosen people. So well, and I think it's a, you got to remember too, like God's judgment is going to happen for all nations. Like there is not yeah. any nation that is exempt from his judgment because his judgment is toward, is against sin and against the those who have chosen to follow sin's path and leading. And so it's 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 one of those things that as we're reading books of the Bible like this that talk about the judgment that is coming to Edom and the judgment that is coming to God's people, Israel. And the reality is this is like we're we all need to be paying attention to what's going on. I mean, pride, there's there's other issues that are existing, but we just have to guard our yeah. own hearts and watch because judgment is coming. Um, you know, the day of the Lord, you're right. Like the old testament, the picture is very much it's wrath being poured out. New Testament it's been reconciled and redeemed because of our acceptance and and righteous standing because of Christ and his death and resurrection. But it's still is judgment. There's still, right. it's, I always get this picture when it comes like the day of the Lord, it's like the separating of the sheep and the goats. Like there's this picture of the, God's going to create division among those who are his people and those who have followed his ways and those who have rejected him. And so it's still judgment, but there's hope for those who are in Christ because of, of what Christ has done. So, well, and speaking of hope, we're going to get there. Yeah. So, But before we do, I forgot, you, you, when you said the nations, it brought up one more thing that stood out to me when I was reading it. Um, I didn't have this in my notes, but I thought it was cool. Uh, the idea of, um, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations, as you, has done, as you have done, so shall it be done to you. Your deeds shall return to your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. Um, that is so true of so many of Israel's enemies mm -hmm. where like if, if, um, if the Bible didn't exist, let's say, or we just had no record of these nations existing in the Bible, we would never think about Edom. We would never think about the Hittites. There's it's a true. bunch of nations that where this happens to So like the Babylonians and the Assyrians, um, are both historically significant outside of Israel. So you have, we have this picture, but with Edom, they, they they disappear from yeah, the timeline, there's, essentially. There's no reason why we would even value them in history because they're gone. I always like bringing up the story because for a long time, the Hittites were seen as an evidence that the Bible wasn't reliable because like they just made up this nation called the Hittites. And then I keep going back and I, I forgot what, when it is, but in the 1900s, so not long ago, um, they discovered the first evidence that the Hittites actually existed. And they're like, oh, this is a real, this is like a real nation. So it, th that's the degree to which they can just be removed is yeah. that it takes thousands of years later to actually bring them back up again. So there you go. All right. So we'll end it off with Obadiah 17 through 21. And this is the end of the book. It says, but in the Mount in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, the house of Esau a stubble, and they shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, and those of Shephelah, I should have looked that up, Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines, and they possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. 
The exiles of this host and the people of Israel shall possess the lands of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sephard shall possess the cities of Negeb. Survivors, or sorry, saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So we get this picture in most of the prophetic books where judgment is laid down, but there's always either an offer of repentance mm-hmm. or a promise of future redemption. So, yeah. and sometimes both, but even in ones such as um, Jonah, for instance, where it's a story, there is still that moment where Jonah himself goes and declares coming judgment, but then he has to offer repentance and he gets really mad because yeah, the Assyrians right. take him up on it. Um, but yeah, it, it reminds it me of a temper tantrum. Yep. And we did the same thing with Amos last week where the end of Amos is, this, is, declaring that there will come a day of restoration is probably the better word to use for it. Um, and for Judah in Israel, there's a moment of restoration where God says, you will be brought back. I'm not abandoning you forever. And we see that fulfilled with uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah as they come back in waves, the temple is rebuilt, the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt. And we see by the time of Christ, Israel exists, um, not that they rule themselves, but they exist as their own distinct culture, yeah. and own distinct nation as the time. And so- and they're allowed to do that. They're like, right. that, that's part of that reconciliation to, or that redemption, sorry, is they're allowed to then worship God and and have their own identity to a degree. Yeah. Once they got rid of that uh that Greek guy. Yeah. That, no Yahoo. No, that Yahoo sacrificing a pig disease. What a clown. <laughs> All right. But that is that's the book of Obadiah. Yeah, that's it. Really simple, really short. Uh I think it's really it's, good for my voice this week. Yeah. It's only one day in the reading plan. So when it comes up to it, you'll just, you know, enjoy enjoy it. Read a whole book of the Bible in a day. It's always fun to say that you did. Uh, but we're going to move on to our question today. But before we do, uh, go ahead and please leave us a five-star review on whatever app that you're listening to. Um, it just helps us to get the podcast out there to more people and continue to grow this community of people reading the Bible together. And if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, but Evan, Aaron, I'm not listening on an app that has ratings, then just like, you know, download Apple Podcasts and just go rate it and then delete it. That's yeah. fine. You don't have just to, go rate it. Just go rate it for a sec. Just give give us the best midway Christmas present that you could give us. Christmas in July. There you go. All right. So question one. I don't know why I put question one. The only question we're talking about today uh, says this, Mark 1035, James and John go to Jesus on the way to Jerusalem and ask to sit on his left and right in paradise. In Matthew 20, 20, their mother asks for them. There are several of these little differences in the gospels and naysayers often use this as ammunition for why the gospels are flawed and untrue. Well, I've done research to satisfy myself about why these contradictions really aren't. I'd like to hear your take on the subject. All right. That's a good question. A really good question. So, and that's why we, we I, I attached it to this episode because we can actually spend a little bit of time to flesh it out and mm-hmm. not feel like we're going way over. So, it's a really important question, and I think that there's a there's a few things that we have to keep in mind. Um, number one, the nature of this argument is one one of the things that I hate about the modern discourse is how Twitterified it's become. If that makes sense, so you can and here's how I'll say it. Um, there's a graphic that was, when I was doing research for this, there's a graphic that I think it's Sam Harris, who's a, a popular atheist and uh, one of the magazines that he contributes to. They put out an infographic that's like 600 contradictions in the Bible. And so you can just put that out there, right? It's a picture and all you're doing is listing, this says this, this says this, this says this, this says this, and you're going through it. So there's no room for nuance there. There's no yeah. room to actually sit down and look at like, well, okay, well, why could this have happened? You're just saying these have the appearance 
of contrast. Some of them don't even really have the appearance of contrast. Some of them are really grasping at straws, but others are like, yeah, like when you first look at it mm-hmm. and if you don't, if you don't think, then yeah, you're like, oh, well, what's going yeah. on here? And it's the same thing with, um, uh, with some of these, like you, you do have to pause and actually take time to thought. You can't formulate uh, discussions about this in 140 characters. It's so, true. 142. 142. See, as you can tell, and, I'm not on say Twitter. Tweet, say tweet-driven versus Twitterfied. Twitterfied. Yeah. Tweet, tweet-driven. Tweet sure. Whatever the whatever the, the cool kids are saying these days. Um, so a couple sorry, other things. Guys. If you're if you're part of millennial or Gen Z, I'm I'm sorry. Well, I'm Evans a, a boomer. I'm at heart. a millennial. He's a boomer at heart. I feel like the more that Gen Z has taking over has taken over youth culture, the more I actually identify with being a millennial. Because <laughs> before. When millennials were the young people, I was like, I don't feel like I fit in. But now that millennials are kind of like grumpy people looking back at Gen Z, I'm like, this is where this I've is aged. my people. I've, my generation has caught up to me <laughs> in terms of attitude. Um, but anyway, so I mo- just threw shade on you, Gen Z. I'm sorry. Love you, love you, Gen Z. Some uh, of my best just, friends are Gen listen, Z. Still got really good things to say about the Bible. So There's uh, depending on what site you trust. My wife is Gen Z, so it depends on what years you cut it off at. But yeah, and there's always that gray crossover. Anyways, all right. So uh, we have to put our, another thing to keep in mind. I think it's the Bible Project says it this way, but I love it. Is we have to we have to keep in mind that we're tourists yeah. when we read the Bible. Um, so if we uh, approach the Bible only in the mindset of I'm a 21st century person living in the the West, right? So like the Western culture, mm-hmm. Europe, the US, Canada, that whole sort of thing. Um, then obviously we're going to have a very different worldview <clears throat> than the authors of the Bible. And they equate it to, and that's why I love the analogy. They equate it to like, imagine, like my wife and I want to go to Italy, right? So it would be like if we went there and we just said like, we're only speaking English. We refuse to read Italian. We refuse to make any effort to try and speak it a little bit. We will be talking in English and we will be refusing to participate in anything that doesn't have it. Well, like you're not going to have a good time and That's everyone true. there is going to hate you. Um, so it's kind of the same thing as when we go to the Bible and we say, I am looking through this. I am looking at this through a modern lens and that's it. I refuse to look at this any other way. Well, then you're not going to, you're not going to be able to interpret the Bible well. It's true. So the reason I bring that up is because Going through these gospel uh, discrepancies, we'll call them, because uh, they're not contradictions. Contradictions means that there can only only one of the two things can be true. So going through these, a lot of them are due to the fact that the for us today, when we're telling a story, we think chronologically. So we think if I'm if I'm writing the story of Aaron's life, it starts off with he was born goes to his childhood and then it goes to like this happened first and then this happened like right now um i just finished reading the uh not just finished like a few months ago i guess but reading the hamilton biography and that's how it's structured right is it's uh it starts off with his early life and then it goes to his life in the war and then it goes to life in the um the cabinet that's how it goes with the gospels most of them are structured thematically so it's not saying this is the exact order that all these things happened in it's going chronology. Right. They're organizing it by theme. And so one of the popular examples, so one of like the discrepancies that you see in the charts is um, in Luke, when Jesus is tempted by Satan, the final temptation is listed as, um, why don't you come up to the top of the temple and jump off and the angels will save you. And then in Matthew, the final temptation is listed as, why don't you come up to the top, come up to the top of this mountain, look at all these nations. Um, I will give them to you. Well, when you look at the books of Matthew and Luke, well, Matthew, the mountains are a motif. The Sermon on the Mount is what immediately follows. Um, the temptation of Christ and even the idea of going out to the nations is a very Matthew <coughs> um, theme. Not that it's not in the other gospels, but yeah, 
That's the most famous Great Commission one that we quote. Um, in Luke, uh, a huge theme is the temple, is what happens with uh, what happens with the temple, what changes in light of Jesus being the temple. So what they're doing is not saying this happened in this order, this order, this order. They're building up to a major climax. And for Matthew, that climax is the temptation of um, the nations. And for Luke, that climax is the temptation of the temple. So it's something to keep in mind there. Where And, and again, to us, that feels weird. Because even as I'm saying that, I'm like, well, why not just do the order that they appeared in? But yeah. that's just that's just not the way that they wrote. Yeah. So it's one of those important things to keep in mind. <clears throat> Ooh, I need some water. One second, listeners. No, and I think, I think, and we'll get to a few other thoughts here too, but I think it's context matters. Like this is where, as Evan and I have talked about different passages and we've answered different questions, but even trying to break down different books of the Bible, we're trying to provide the context with which they're written, which with, which with the authorship is the perspective they're taking, because it's not, we're not going to understand. I think that tourist analogy is so brilliant because how often do we come in expecting it to be clear? But, we're, but it's hard. It's hard work right. to study the Bible. It's hard work to understand context. It's hard work to, to really have relationship with God, let alone work through the, 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 deep, the deep pages of scripture. And so it really, it really is important to understand, like, we have to, we can't just th- take things at face value. And a, and, a, and a simple tweet that has a graphic of 600 contra- contradictions is easy to attach to and say, like, well, this is why I can't believe the Bible. No, that's not true. You have to dig into that and say, what are they actually addressing and saying right. to determine what you actually believe? That's how you have a biblical worldview. And that's part of the combat combativeness that I feel like we have to take as Christians is we have to start fighting for a biblical worldview and it requires work and effort to do that. So, yep. Another thing to keep in mind is a ton of these contradictions or air quotes contradictions are the same story viewed through different lenses, mm-hmm. which and it's, I forgot which of the blogs I was looking at but argues it, but I, I totally agree. When you see some minor discrepancies in accounts, to me, that shows that it's true more than anything else. Like right. if, you, if everyone wrote the Just exact same, the same script, exactly, then it's you'd be like- It's impersonal, it's, it's, it's not- Well, and you think to yourself, oh, they met and they worked this out ahead of time. But when you see like <clears throat> slight differences in the gospels, what you're seeing is the different views of different people. So for instance, um, the one that he's referencing. So in Mark- James and John go on the way to Jerusalem and they ask to sit uh, at Jesus' right and left hand. And Matthew, their mother asks for them, right? So in both cases, James and John, someone is asking for them mm-hmm. to be at the right and the left hand. And we're sure that it says that her, uh, James and John's mother brought them with them. So it's not like they're super embarrassed, like, mom, no, like they're, they're, they're on board. Yeah. Um, so for, you can imagine with Peter, cause remember Mark is writing a lot of his teachings based off of what Peter's preached. When Peter's talking about this story, he probably is just saying, yeah, James and John asked for this thing and then got, and Jesus told them, uh, and taught them a lesson in this. And then with Matthew, we can see that he's really concerned, um, with basically the exact details and how everything connects to the old Testament, all those different things. So it makes sense for Matthew to say like, this is the exact story of what had happened. Whereas Peter is more looking through the theme of like, here's the lesson that was yeah. taught to James and John through this. Um, I compare it to, I broke my knee. Um, for those of you who remember, I think we've only referenced it like once or twice, but um, I was in a wheelchair for a little bit. Um, He's but, actually sitting in one right now, but only because it's more comfortable. Well, yeah. Cause, only because the other chair the squeaks. Um, but it reminds me of, I was, uh, you know, people are asking what happens, what happened. And then the, a few days later, um, Ashley, my wife was like, why didn't you tell me that you had ridden in the cart um, three times? And I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? I was like, she's like, why didn't you tell me that like you had, like, it wasn't the first time that you got in the, oh, sorry, 
for clarity, I broke my knee by driving a golf cart and falling out because I was racing it. Um, but three times. Three times. So, but Third like, time's a charm. Yeah, uh, it was. So, but basically the idea was, you know, to, to me, like, so for her, that was an important part of the story. Like for her, that actually changed how she, how she saw the story. And it was an important detail for me. I didn't even think about it. Like I, like I, and I told her, like, I, I like the, to me, like the idea of me racing three times was not even an important detail to throw into the story as I'm telling it. Cause I fell down and broke my knee. But, but what that goes to show you is if you ask me what happened, I will tell a story. Ashley will tell a story that's slightly different because that detail is important to her. Mm -hmm. Um, And even other people who were there, I, when you listen to them, tell the story, they have different viewpoints that they're looking at it from. And so all of those things together create a picture of the event. Yeah. But you can say like, well, is it a contradiction? Like, well, Evan said he was racing a golf cart. Ashley said that he raced it three times, which is it? Like, no, they, they can mold together yeah. pretty easily. So, and I think a lot of the, a lot of those are that way. Um, one of the, I think it was Matt Perlman was the author and then he did it with, I, I'm not going to remember the other guy's name, but they actually created a synthetic, um, not synthetic, a synthesized gospel account of the resurrection because a lot of the discrepancies that people point out are like, well, who was at the tomb at what time, whatever it is. And they actually, they bring all the scripture together to say, this is exactly how it could have happened with no contradictions and, and still getting in all of the points of the gospel mm. account. So really helpful. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that even, it even speaks to, I mean, I, it, it's an easy, it's an easy analogy, easy comparison, but if you were to ask me and my wife, how, how I proposed to her, Oh yeah, she would tell you a different way. And I would tell you something different as well. We were both there. We both had the experiences, but my wife in the moment was concerned with making sure that I asked her parents because that was a big deal for her mom. And so when I finally got down on it and asked her, her first response was, did you ask my parents? And, and, and I just sat there and then she said, yes, but did you ask my parents? That was, that was the majority of her remembering of it. Like, yeah, we went to the park and he asked me if, you know, if I would get married, went to the park by my house. But the details, like I could tell you a whole lot drawn, more drawn out story because I've been there because I was there and my account were different. I, I, th- I see things differently and, and that's the same with these accounts. That's the same with some of these contradictions. Now there are some, just to be honest with you, that take a lot more deep diving than just thinking from a, a gospel perspective where there's different accounts. Um, but it, you have to understand that too. Like we, if we, if we are all part of the same 2000 winter camp, when we watched the Seahawks beat the, win the Super Bowl. It was, the, but the playoffs oh, go beat, the, beat the Niners to go to the Super Bowl. So it's twenty. You, you and I were there yep. when it happened, but our accounts would be different and how it played out. Very true, because of our perspectives and what we bring to the table, our experiences. Evan, your bias towards as a Seahawks fan, my bias towards anti Seahawks, but I still was rooting for them. Like the the nuances of who we are influence the way we perceive and sh- and relate details and information. It doesn't mean it's contradictory. It just, it actually enhances the conversation. I almost feel like you get a better picture of what it could look like. So, yeah. so for additional resources, I really would recommend um, just to reiterate because I know, and, th- and I also want to make sure that this isn't something we just gloss over because this is, this is a really challenging part of faith. And it's a really challenging part of, of reading through scripture is like when it gets hard to understand or when there's things that don't quite make sense to us, it can be really rattling. So first off, I would say, don't ignore those. Yeah, like, don't. don't skip over them. Like, do the work to to work through how that can synthesize in your mind because it's important, and yeah. and you don't want those lingering. Um, you don't you don't want those lingering on, especially with so many of them are just kind of like yeah. You can they're pretty easy answers as you're going through. So I'd recommend highly. Um, the Gospel Coalition has some great articles. 
all these different things. The Matt Perlman blog post that I was referencing um, was really good. And that was written in response to that infographic that I was talking about. Um, and then again, that book, which I haven't read yet, but um, it was recommended by multiple of yeah. the blog posts. So I, I, I feel pretty confident saying that you should also check that out. And it was only like 25 bucks, yeah. I think on Amazon. And, and I would say this too, is like, don't be afraid to reach out to someone. Like, don't, you don't have to do all this work by yourself. That's part of why Evan, like Evan and I love this stuff. Like Evan and I, he nerds out about it more than I do, but I love the conversations because I think it's challenging. It's thought provoking. It's, it's important to do that. So send in questions, send in contradictions, send in those things to us. But also if you've got a local pastor or uh, a local, you know, uh, person of faith, who's followed Christ a lot longer than you reach out to them, begin to process because if you're not processing these doubts or these questions or contradictions or these concerns, you're just left to your own devices trying to figure it out. And yep. so you're, the beauty of the body of Christ is we're meant to lean in together. We're meant to do this thing together. So don't isolate, uh, but ask the questions for sure. So, And we're more than willing to take on the questions. So feel free to send them in. Yep. And the last thing I'll say is almost none of the so-called contradictions that, that people can poke at and find actually affect doctrine in any way. And I think it's an important point to bring up because yeah. like so many of them are like, well, this scripture says that David has this many people in his army and this one says he has this many people in his army. It's like, okay, like even if you're saying, oh, that's wrong, nothing changes. Yeah. So there are, there are a lot of those where um, there is just kind of this this weird idea that um, if you can just poke like one hole somewhere, then the whole thing falls apart, which is not the truth. That's not what our faith is built on. Yeah. That's not what Christianity is built on. So, um, and that being said, I believe, I, I fully believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. I don't believe that there's any contradictions in it. Um, as, as particularly with the the original manuscripts of all the books that were written. Um, but with that being said, even with some of the ones that are more difficult to wrestle through, if you think of the time, like take a moment to step outside and realize like they don't actually affect anything at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Uh, but that wraps it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Just as a reminder, we are a resource of the Grove Church, but we're not the only one. Uh, on our website, you can find under the media tab, all of our past podcast episodes, archives that go, I realized that Apple Podcasts only holds the last 100. So if you want to go, if you want to go further back, they're all there. Uh, all of our past messages as well, Sunday sermons, and then all of our uh, life and then blog posts as well. Uh, this week, Megan Monterosa contributed. It's really good. So take a. She's brilliant, by the way. Yeah, she's a really good writer. So take a take a read, um, and then also if this podcast or any of the ministry of the Grove Church has been a blessing to you, and you'd like to financially contribute to help it keep going, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the top left hand corner when you log in. But with that being said, have a have a great week. Yeah, thanks for bearing with my voice. <laughs> <laughs>